0: Well, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming to listen to me. Um, I appreciate that. I'm a New Testament student, New Testament PhD, so you're getting my B game here with the Old Testament. But I'm I'm teasing. It's the study of the New Testament that's actually uh, given me a greater love for the Old Testament. Uh, The God in both testaments are the same. Uh, In the greatness of the New Testament is that because of Jesus, we relate to God differently. We don't relate through a temple anymore, but we relate through his Son. Uh, this morning, we're going to take a look at Ecclesiastes. Uh, Ecclesiastes, two portions, one in chapter 5 and one in chapter 7. This is a very difficult passage in the sense that uh, we're talking about philosophy. Uh, Solomon is going over the meaning of life through a philosophical eyes. And in the end of the book, he he comes to it that life uh, shouldn't be viewed as a mystery to be solved or or something that can be understood, Uh, but that rather life is a gift to be enjoyed by God, and that gift can only be enjoyed with God. Now, if you remember from last week, uh, Pastor DeVries' Four Spiritual Laws, that was the fourth one, that life is only enjoyable with God. So there's great continuity in Ecclesiastes. Uh, Solomon, throughout the book, tells us that people are trying to find meaning to their life through work, through intellectual pursuits, through a lifelong quest to acquire wealth, and to pursue pleasure or happiness. And what he says is a life only lived for these goals is meaningless, futile. Uh, It's unattainable, just like chasing after wind. You, You can never get there. But rather, his conclusion in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14 says, Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This morning, as we turn to Ecclesiastes 5 and 7, we will consider two aspects of life in which we relate to God in an attitude of fear. And now before we turn to chapter 5, we need to look at the context. So let's go to the context, which is chapter 4. In chapter 4, Solomon is considering our, uh, one's pursuits, the success of those pursuits, and their meaning for our life. The first por- portion, he talks about the pursuits and the difficulties of oppression. It talks about the pursuits and envy, uh, literally trying to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, The next portion, verses 6 and 7, it's pursuit and family. Uh, are Are you working to share or pass on? The next portion is the productivity of pursuit, that things will go better if you have two workers or three. You're all together. There's strength in numbers. And then finally at the end, in verses 13 and 16 through 16, he talks about our pursuits in light of kings or government and saying how if we, we try to pursue our success or our meaning or happiness or our, uh, looking towards the government to get these things, you're going to fail. Because every generation looks to the younger king and says, Ah, oh, maybe. They're always hoping, always looking for hope and change. Uh, but Solomon says it, 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 it's meaningless. You, you can't find it there. You can't find it in, in government. So now, if we can't find it in government uh, to bring us, we can't rely on government or the kings to bring us success or meaning in our pursuits, uh, then naturally, what's the higher up? Well, maybe God. Maybe God, we can go to God to get meaning and and success in our pursuits. Uh, So this whole theme of this first part of the chapter has to do with discontentment, looking for that meaning, looking for... um, Purpose of your life. So will be God, will God be better uh, in that life? That life that I want. So let's look at the text. Uh, and ch- verses one through seven is the first aspect we're going to cover today. And it's approaching God in an attitude of fear. Uh, verses 1 through 3, we're going to see Solomon teaching about uh, fearfully coming to God to listen. So let's actually go to the text. Verse 1 says. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Who do, you, who do not know that they do wrong? So let's start back in, uh, at the beginning when Solomon says, guard your steps. The word there for guard means to be careful, to watch out where you're going. It's actually a word picture, uh, literally of stumbling or going off the path. And to his Jewish audience, this is something that they're picking up on because one of the major words, one of the three main words for sin in the Old Testament has to do with missing the mark or going off the path. So when the readers, his original Hebrew readers are hearing this, they're saying, you're hearing, guard your steps so that you don't sin, so you don't go off the path and go in the wrong direction when you're trying to go to God. Here he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now, the house of God is referring to the temple. It's the place of worship. It's the place where the presence of God actually existed in Israel. Now, if you remember your history, Solomon is the one who built the temple. So this is all kind of new for the people as well. They had a sanctuary, the tabernacle, and they had a place where they went and worshipped. But this is now the house of God. And it was built in such a way where you entered it, it was magnificent. It was beautiful. You felt, physically felt, wow, this is glorious. I feel like I'm in the presence of God. And in fact, his presence was there. So what he's saying is guard your steps. Be careful how you go. Uh, Do not sin when you're approaching God, when you're coming into his presence uh, with the connotation of, I'm seeking him after what I want, my pursuits. And he says, the text continues to say, go near to listen. Now the word there for listen in Hebrew is shema. What it means is to hear with your ears and thus do with your life. It's not just hearing. It's hearing and thus doing. Another way to say it is to obey. If my kids, if I tell them to go brush their teeth, they could have hear me and do nothing. Uh, but then they wouldn't be shmai. Uh, if they hear and then go do, that is what we're talking about. So here is Solomon saying, when you're going to the house of God and seeking God's presence, His help, you need to hear. Listen to what he's saying, to what he wants, and what he's asking you to be. It continues and says, instead, what people are doing, rather they, they offer a sacrifice of fools. Now the word Hebrew word there for sacrifice has uh, the connotation of a, a... Well, it doesn't have a connotation. It means a communal sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice for sin. It is uh, one that's made when you're already in fellowship, and you're, you're sitting down and eating. Uh, that sacrifice, So when you eat that sacrifice, you're in communion with God. So what these people are doing, the sacrifice of fools, is, I'm okay with God. I'm great with God. I'm playing with the rules. I don't need to listen. I'm doing just fine. It's an arrogance. And that's why he says, do not uh, offer the sacrifice of fools. And the idea of fools there is a, an arrogance or a rude lack of respect. Uh, Continuing on, and who do not even know that they're doing wrong? That's the amazing thing. When they're going, uh, it's almost the idea of ignorance is bliss. But, you know, in the Old Testament, and even the New Testament, a sin under ignorance is still sin. Uh, And that's what the sacrifices in the temple were made for, for the sins of ignorance. So continue on in verse 2. Ah, before we go to verse 2, let's look at 1 Samuel. Uh, This is a parallel to it, because what he's saying, what the emphasis is, is you need to listen to God and obey Him, learn Him, rather than doing a sacrifice. So do you see the the correlation there of it's better to obey than sacrifice? Uh, In the first text there, 1 Samuel 15, 22, uh, this is where Saul has sinned after what God has told him to do, specific commandments that God gave. And Samuel said, has God not uh, has sorry let's start again has the lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams does god delight in physical works in good works uh, can you make let's play, make a deal with god can you do acts and say i know what god wants I'm going to please him. I'm in control. I'm just going to sacrifice, and everything will be fine. Uh, No, Uh, he wants obedience, and and the text is not saying he wants obedience and not sacrifices, but he wants obedience uh, first. It's a priority. He wants your sacrifices, uh, your life, your works through obedience. Second one, Proverbs 21:3, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Okay, moving on to verse 2. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything uh, before, like before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Uh, so let your words be few. Uh, so what is he saying there? When you're going in the presence of God, one of the things that people will be doing is speaking and praying. And what is he saying is, whether you're going to speak with your mouth or speak with a dialogue through God in your mind, be slow. Don't be quick. And what it says there is, uh, don't be quick to utter anything. The word anything means the matter or the word, what you're coming to God for. It's the idea of, God, I know what's good for my life. I know what, how my pursuit should go. I know how every aspect, and let me tell you about it, God. It's... Preposterous for you to tell God how everything should work. Uh, this is, uh, if you remember from last week, this is parallel to uh, De- uh, Pastor DeVries' second spiritual law of God is above. God has a plan. God sees everything. And you don't. And that's why it's, the text goes on to say, God is in heaven, and you are on earth. There's a lot of things that you don't realize how God is moving, how God is directing, how he's orchestrating all of life's events for his good, for his glory, and for your good. And that's where you need to trust. You need to be dependent. So what does Solomon say? Instead of letting your words be many, and you going on and on, stop, listen, let your words be few. And there's supposed to be few, so in order for you to listen, to hear, what God is saying through his priests and through prayer, through his scriptures. Verse 3, as a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool uh, when there are many words. He continues just to say simply that when there are many concerns, when there are many struggles or heartaches, well, then people start dreaming. Uh, when you're in difficulty, you dream of a better situation. And just like that, it, just like when there are difficulties, we dream of a better reality. When there's a lot of words being communicated to God, out comes the voice of a fool. It's foolish to continue to speak and say and tell God how things should be run or how things uh, should go. It is Shameless, it is arrogant or rude, disrespectful to God. That's what the word a fool means. This is the first three verses talk about our approach and how when we approach God, when we come to Him, when we're seeking, coming into His presence, we need to come to listen. Secondly, verses four through seven, and we're going to see that. Uh, People need to be fearful in making vows to God. Verse 4 says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. So Let's go back to verse 4. When you make a vow to God, vows in the Old Testament... Were promises that were made. Either uh, it was usually, God, would you please do this? If you do this, then I will dedicate something, devote something to you, whether it be your service, your person, uh, or things, houses, money, land, cattle, or a promise to abstain from something. And the vast majority is a promise to devote something to God. And that's what we're talking about here, uh, devoting something to God. And what Solomon is saying is, don't delay in fulfilling it. Now, what is implied here is that when a vow is made, does God have to answer it? No. Uh, When you make a vow and say, God, please get me out of this, and I will do this. Uh, We've all made similar vows to that, sometimes in haste, sometimes in thoughtfully. Uh, You see this all the time in the Psalms and in David, especially when he was being chased by Saul. But if God does fulfill his end of it and he remember it's up to him his, his priority but if you vowed something to god you need to fulfill it and that's what it says the word for fulfill there actually comes from the, the root word in hebrew which is shama and if you uh, not shama i'm sorry shalom uh, which is as you probably recognize it, it means peace uh, so to fulfill your vow is to make peace to pay it to do what was right uh, in front of god Looking at verse 5, it is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. If you look at the verse, it implies that you don't know how to make a vow. If you're not going to fulfill it, it's better that you don't even do anything. Uh, what's implied there is if God answers that, uh, and answers what you request, your pursuits, the things that you want, and then you don't follow through with your promise, with your word, then things are actually going to get worse, not better, as you think it might. Uh, The idea, again, is to be dependent, to be under God, to listen, to submit. Looking at a parallel in Deuteronomy, this is where Moses taught them about vows. He said, if you make a vow to the Lord, your God, do not be slow in paying it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will, you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you, you made a vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. And then Proverbs twenty twenty it is a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly, and only later to consider his vow. So the, the Old Testament precepts are clearly that you don't have to make a vow, but if you do, you need to be a promise keeper. You need to be one that fulfills your words, and especially when you're referring to God, God or man, either way. But here, specifically in this context, we're talking about the vows made to God. Moving on to verse 6. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. By not fulfilling your promise, it will be a sin. And let's just define what sin is a sin is anything done apart from god Uh, sin is actions thoughts attitudes things that were done apart without god so by you doing these things you are literally doing living uh, apart from him and he has designed the temple his word jesus all to bring you back into life, union, relationship with him. So here, and that's why, the emphasis is on listening. Let's go back to verse 6 of the text. It says, and Do not protest to the, the temple messenger. If you notice that the word temple is in uh, brackets, uh, it's unclear as far as what the references is, uh, as far as the messenger. Uh, it, both in tradition, it's the priest and what would be assume there is that when you made the vow they wrote it down and you, you told them what the vow was but vows can be done in the mind and in the heart or just simply in the presence of God and so there, another alternative interpretation of this is that the messenger is, a, is an angel an angelic messenger coming and reminding you uh, that you made a vow it has to do with conviction so what either way I believe the text is ambiguous on purpose, uh, because either way, it's looking at the vows that you're made. Whether you make a vow in front of man or making a vow before God, you are responsible. And you can't say it was a mistake. The word there for mistake means a sin that was unintentional. I didn't mean it. And you know, you know what they did for unintentional sins? They made a sacrifice. And you can see the, the, the train. I'll, if I make an unintentional sin, oh, no worries. I'll just make a sacrifice. This is the work I do and you leave God out of the equation. But the whole idea of the sacrifice and the vow is your relationship with God. So my vow is a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? What this ending clause is saying that is that be careful about what you say. Your words can lead you into sin. And then God can be angry and, and destroy the work of your hands. The work of your hands is the key to the text. The key to the passage is the topic. Remember, in the context, these are people going to the presence of God because of their pursuits, because of what they're looking for, because of their, their, their work, the works of their hands. In other words, what Solomon is saying is, everything is in God's control. Don't think that you have control. You can't manipulate the situation. You can't force what you want on God. He's God in heaven, and your man on earth. It is completely up to him. Then the final verse, verse 7: Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Dreaming there just literally means dreaming like you do at night. Uh, it's the same word used earlier, uh, when there's many cares and many concerns. Uh, you can worry, you can dream about a better future, or a better reality or someplace else uh, and out of either concern or need or discontentment. And with uh, many words, you can babble on to God. Uh, and what Solomon's saying is it's, it's meaningless. The word meaningless there is another word to say it is vanity or it's futile. the word picture, there is one of a mist or a cloud. It's, can I get my hands around it? When you think you can get your hands around it, you get close enough and realize it's not even there. It's meaningless. It's out of your control. It's out of your grasp. And that's what he's saying. It's in God's control, in God's grasp. Therefore, stand in awe of God. The word awe there is Fear. And you might say, well, wait a second. The New Testament says there's no fear in love, and God is love. Well, that's true. In Hebrew, both in Hebrew and Greek, it's amazing continuity that the word has two different aspects. If you look up in the dictionary, there's two different definitions. There's one definition of fear is literally trembling, of being afraid of getting in trouble, uh, or fearing for your life. The other one is a fear of awe. of of deep respect and an honor and being afraid that you might offend the other party in the things that you say or do. Uh, There's no human or earthly illustration that really captures that idea, Uh, but it might be if you're in the the presence of the the president or or someone that you so highly respect or so wish to be friends with and you don't want to say the wrong thing or maybe on a first date and you really like this person you don't want to say the wrong thing or or, or mess up because you don't want to offend them at all. Or maybe if your fiancé going in to see meet your in-laws, uh, be kind of f- fearful. That's the idea there uh, of fear. And you can see how the, the word covers two different realities. Uh, because at any one given time, if you're an unbeliever, you need to fear God and being afraid because you're dead, dead in your sins, and destined uh, for hell. But if you are a believer... You fear God in, I want to be closer to you. I don't want to do anything that might damage our relationship or, or, or stop me from getting more of you. And that's the fear Solomon is saying. Fear God. So now it's time to go to the second part, our second aspect that we're going to consider the future in an attitude of fear. Uh, chapter 7, verses 13 through 18. Uh, 13 to 14 is going to we're going to cover God's sovereignty in life, but once again, before we start the actual text, let's look at a context. The beginning of chapter seven, it, Solomon has been talking about living in light of one's mortality, uh, being prepared for death, seeking a good reputation in in life through wisdom. Uh, that earlier section has been discussed from man's perspective. Uh, from man's perspective of free will whereas in this half verses 13-18 through we're going to be looking at it from God's perspective from his sovereignty so let's look at the text consider what God has done Uh, who can straighten what he has made crooked when times are good be happy but when times are bad consider God has made the one as well as the other Therefore, a man can't discover anything about his future. I love this. If you look at back in verse 13, consider what God has done. Uh, think about it. Let's look at it together. That's us reason. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? Uh, the idea is just simply, are you stronger than God? If he wants something crooked, there's no way you can straighten it out. And it, it had, the crooked has the idea of, of, of your crooked life. You can, might say, okay, my pursuits, the things that I'm doing, I want to get to that goal. And the easiest way to get to that goal between point A and point B is a straight line. But God may have you come over this way or back that way. And is that in your control? Are your circumstances in your control? Ultimately, uh, they are in God's control. You can decide to do something. Uh, I, I believe... Um, Margie a verse, read a verse this morning or, or prayed that, you know, the plans of the king are one way, but God holds this, the, the course. Uh, God has control of our circumstances. So verse 14 says, when times are good, be happy, uh, enjoying that goodness uh, that God has given. Uh, but when times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. What Solomon is reminding us is that our situations, the things that we, the life experiences that we go through, they're out of our control for, for the most part. We can plan to do things, but God is directing our path. And even in good times, enjoy them. In bad times, re- realize that God has given that. You can't change what he's doing. The verse reminds us that we make God out to be too small in our eyes. His plan, his curvature for our life is beautiful. Once again, echoing what Pastor deree said last week about the second law of he, he's working a plan to make things beautiful. The idea here uh, in this, these two short verses is that even the man of God cannot be certain of prosperity, of success in his pursuits, in the things that he's doing, because both God controls the good times and God controls the bad times. Going on to verse, for verses 15 through 18, uh, God is sovereign over life. Reading 15, In, in this meaning, meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these The righteous man perishing in his righteousness and the wicked man living long in his wickedness. Uh, It's great when Solomon's saying his meaningless life, it's the same word for vanity, that mist. Uh, If I think I have control of my life, it's gone. I don't have any control. It's it's an illusion. Uh, God has control of my life when I live and when I die. And he's saying righteousness here, uh, a righteous person in his righteousness, they die early and a wicked man lives long. How does that make sense? Verse 16, do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over, over-wicked. Do not be a fool. Why die before your time? The idea of being destroying yourself is being appalled. I'm afraid, I'm frightened. Of, uh, I can't believe that that happened. It's the idea of, that's projected in Deuteronomy 4.40 and in Psalm. Uh, 440 says, uh, Keep his decrees and commandments which I give you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land of the Lord that he gives you. So therefore, the idea there is, okay, if I live righteously, then God has to give me long life. It's manipulating God. It's trying to play God. It's trying to force his hand. And the same thing in Psalm. Uh, But you, O God, will bring down the wicked into the the pit of... Of corruption. Uh, Bloodthirsty and deceitful men will not live out half of their days. See, what God says, the wicked won't. Well, then, but how come it it doesn't? You can't, you don't have security on these things. Those principles are true and they're generalities and they're generally true, Uh, but that is not a guarantee for you. That's not where you place your security. You're placing your security in the sovereignty of God and that He's a good God. And you can trust him. Continuing on to the last verse's conclusion, it is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Uh, it is good to grasp the one and not the other. It's easy for us, or we have a natural tendency to say, well, if it's not the one, then I'll go to the other extreme. It must be the other. If I can't gain a longer life through living righteously, then, well, then I'll just live wickedly. Who cares? Uh, What Solomon is saying is, these are Proverbs. We are people of principle. And living wickedly does, uh, will cause you, generally, you're going to be experiencing more risky behavior, and you could could die early. And on the other side, uh, it is better to live righteously. That is what God has called you to do. But that is not a guarantee. His conclusion, again, is the man who fears God, that same fear will avoid, the word all there has the idea of both, will we'll avoid both extremes and live in the middle. So in concluding, uh, we seek to live righteously and to live wisely out of love for God, out of fear for Him. When we fear Him, I remember we're we're trying not to offend him. We're trying to keep our relationship. That goes right back to the parallel, what we saw in the very first verse, of going there to listen, to learn what he expects of us, to learn what he wants from us. Uh, Because when we fear him and living a life of obedience, we're doing it out of love for God. Trying to please him, to do what is right. Uh, Let's pray. Father, uh, these have been Uh, difficult concepts and they're difficult struggles that we face as as every human uh, wants security every every human wants to uh, be in control and father help us to remember and remind us help us to live out uh, that we are people that are dependent on you Uh, we are people that must uh, surrender to you you are our god and we are your people when we are people that call your name, please help us to live worthy of you. Help us to listen, uh, to stop and to uh, bring up the things that we desire and, and look at them against what you desire. Uh, help us to uh, realize that the, the things in life are under your control, and we have safety and security in you and not in the things that we do. Uh, help us to live in fear in awe, in respect, in light of you. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.